What's going on, Chit Chatters? Welcome to another episode of Coaching for Millennials. In today's episode, we're diving deep into a conversation about career changers and people who are looking to transition in their careers. We're sharing with you strategies and tips for your next move. Today, I have a special guest who is a two-time guest on the show, my good friend, Crystal Hicks. Crystal is the founder and CEO of Job Talk LLC. She's a Portsmouth Portsmouth, New Hampshire native, and she spent 10 years in the employment sector and then realized that she wanted to shift her profession into building her side hustle. So two professionals here that are going to share with you some deep advice and some great strategies for how you want to shift from one career to another and how to shift your mindset as well. So we're diving deep into this. Bring your pen and paper and your favorite drink. Let's dive in. Are you struggling to find your purpose in life? Do you feel like something is missing and you need some guidance? Do you often feel unfulfilled with what you're doing on a day-to-day basis? Well, I'm here to tell you, you don't have to feel that way anymore. I'm here to help you through your journey in life to gain clarity, find purpose, and passion. My name is Jose Miguel Longo. I'm a gay Hispanic, a husband, dog daddy, advocate for social justice, and DEI ally for all LGBTQ+, a career and life coach and millennial born in 1983. I have spent my time since the age of 14 working my way around the world of work. I know my God-given talents are to help those around me to gain clarity in their lives while finding their passion and purpose. For the last decade, I've spent my time coaching college students and alums from all three generations, X, Y, and Z, and designing their career stories and mapping what they want to do in their lives. Whether it's gaining clarity in who you are and what you're meant to do, learning to build a resume or write a cover letter, holding you accountable and building your career journey, or designing your life, the podcast Coaching for Millennials is a how-to guide for all things career, life, and a sprinkle of everything in between. It is an all-inclusive space for meaningful conversations on topics happening in our world right now. It is a space for people to go on a holistic journey in uncovering their passion and purpose. I'm here for all generations, no matter what you identify as. If you're seeking to transition from a career industry or job to another, or ready to transform your life completely, I got you, boo. Whatever the fantasy you're trying to create, let me make it happen. If you're ready to start the journey to explore your passion and purpose, get focused on gaining clarity to transform you to a place that will fuel you, inspire you, and sprinkle some joy and laughter in between, it's time to dive into Coaching for Millennials. that it does that now by the way it's okay <laughs> welcome back to chatters welcome to the episode of coaching for millennials today i have a guest with me who's been on the podcast before so this is not going to be a surprise but she was on the podcast in season one so crystal hicks welcome back to the show Woo-hoo! thanks for having me I'm so glad to be having this conversation with you and if you heard some sound and chuckles it's because we are recording this obviously, but we're recording it on Zoom. So for those of you who listen to podcasts, most podcasters record on Zoom so they can see the person they're talking to and then just convert their audio. But we were just talking about how awkward Zoom is now where it tells you recording in progress. So we both laughed (laughs) about it. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. I see the little red dot. Um, 
Crystal, thank you so much for coming back to the show. I'm so excited to have you here and I'm excited to have our conversation. Yeah, likewise. This is such a good topic. Yeah. So we're today we're talking about career changers, which seems to be a really topic of conversation amongst a lot of people who have been living in the last 18 months through this pandemic of what do I do with my life? And how do I figure things out? Maybe the pandemic, you lost your job and you don't know what to do next because your industry has now no longer in existence. Or maybe you're someone who ultimately is like, fuck that. I want to do something completely different with myself and kind of reinvent the wheel. Or maybe you're just like tired of the grind of what you've been doing. And your job has created ridiculous boundaries in what you want in your life because the pandemic has brought you closer to your family, your friends, and things that are really more meaningful to you. So all of those things are someone who might be a career changer. Um, So I'm super excited to kind of talk about some strategies that we can share with people. And I know that you, with your own business, Job Talk LLC, have been working with a lot of clients over the last 18 months um, with this particular conversation. So why don't we just jump right in? Go ahead. Perfect. Yeah. No, this is um, such a relevant topic because I think a lot of people who probably had these seedling ideas in the back of their mind for a long time, or they started having the itch of like, I don't really love what I'm doing, but I make good money. I'm just going to keep, keep on keeping on. Right. And then the pandemic hit and it was like, oh my God, I have way too much time in my own head. I've got way too much time to like think about the fact that I'm not happy and I'm actually enjoying this downtime and I don't want to go back. And so what's happened is there's just been this tidal wave of this, I'm calling it the sea change. And so I think the biggest thing is that yes, there are people who were happy, then experienced a ton of freedom and flexibility and autonomy and being able to work remotely um, and found that they could be even more productive right? So now they're like, well, shit, now I don't want to go back and like, if I can have all this freedom and flexibility and produce more, right. And be a better employee, like this is win-win. And I think there's a lot of frustration brewing because of the way that employers, some employers have handled this whole, like, you know, coming back to the office request. And, and these are the questions, right? Like, Hey, I've been super productive for 18 months. Like why this doesn't make sense to drag me back in. And then the other folks are the folks that I feel like they were unhappy before. This was really the catalyst to push them over the edge. And so now they're starting to, you know, really kind of like take the blinders off, look outside their field, do a little bit more research. I've had a lot of people that have reached out to me that have never, ever worked with a career strategist before. A lot of word of mouth clients that have come in like, hey, you know, I heard you helped a friend of mine. Like, I feel like I'm in the same boat. So I think that it's, it's been really, um, you know, t- to be honest, I think it's been really empowering for a lot of people, people being like, wow, I, I actually can make a change and I'm not pigeonholed. I'm not stuck in this box that I feel like I was, had been in. I think of hospitality folks. I think of teachers. I think, you know, I have had so many clients from those two spaces alone come in, in the last wow. 18 months. And those are really specific fields where I feel like career changing felt very, very intimidating. Um, and they've been able to do it. So yeah, I'm and here I think for it. I, me too. <laughs> and I think it's it's there for everybody. I think the what we experienced in the last eighteen months, and we will continue to experience probably for the next two or three years. I don't think this this great resignation period of sorts is going to go away anytime soon. Mm-mm. And I think that what the pandemic did is was that it accelerated this 
because I think we all were seeing a shift in how employers and businesses and organizations were needing to be more quote unquote work life oriented, but they really weren't like they were using it, but not really applying it. Like it was easy to talk about, but not actually do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And the pandemic accelerated it. And you mentioned that a lot of the people who you had been encountering that were coming to you were teachers and people from the hospitality industry. Now, I can only imagine the level of frustration, anxiety, and stress that people who had been working shifts and relied on, like whether you were food service or travel or hotel or any of those places, hospitality altogether, like that has not come back. And it's going to take a long time before it comes back. I mean, businesses completely closed to never really reopen again because of the impact of the pandemic. What were some of the things that you assisted with in those clients that you talked to and helping them forge a path and kind of some strategies that kind of helped them get out of that stress and anxiety they might have been experienced, but then how did they pivot? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I I love that you bring that up too, because I feel like there is a mental barrier before there's actually a true barrier. Um, I think a lot of the folks that came to me assumed that these transitions would, were impossible. And that right there, that I hate saying limiting belief, because I think it's very cliche, but it's very true. It's like, I'm all about limiting beliefs. I talk about that. Okay. Yeah. So it's like this whole concept of like, oh, I'm way too specialized. I'm way too focused. So this can't happen. That stops the conversation from even happening, those thoughts. So I always tell people like, almost like, like by the time you get to me, like calling me is the hardest part, right? Once we're connected, like I will sherpa you through the darkness here. (laughs) Like we can talk about pivoting and actually making this happen. So I think the first barrier, the first hurdle is really a very personal one for people to just kind of take a leap of faith on themselves and, and have that vote of confidence in their own ability to transition and like leverage their transferables. And so that's step one. And step two is like, okay, once we're actually working together, how do we pivot? Like you said, how do we actually make this happen? So I think of people who I had a, um, I had a person who was a math teacher, high school math teacher, and he was just completely burnt out, probably late twenties, early thirties, right. Had been doing this since he got out of college and COVID just completely changed the game. Right. And so many teachers have said this, like I, I got asked to take on way too much. I'm not paid. I'm paid peanuts, right. To deal with this. I think our teachers are way underpaid. And so when it comes to pivoting, I think for some people, it's funny because they'll call me and they'll say, so what have other teachers done? Like people are looking for that map that somebody else has crafted and followed and found success with. And I always push back on that and say, I can sit here all day long and tell you what other people have done. That has nothing to do with what you're good at, what you actually want to pursue. I mean, I know the feeling of feeling the the desperation of like, I'm so unhappy in what I'm doing that I'll take anything. Right. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't call me. And we operate out of a place of desperation. Like this is where we actually like, let's suss out some actual options that are super exciting. So for some people, it's like, okay, moving from teaching roles into maybe higher education, right? You and I have both worked in or currently work in university systems. Like you have administrative roles, you have project management roles, you have training and development, you have actual business units, right? HR, marketing, like all of these departments that totally still live in the university system structure. Mm -hmm. And you have these K through 12 educators that are super, super like 
great with curriculum building, great with training and development, great with like juggling a million different things and having to literally teach the same content over and over and over again throughout the day and stay motivated. So um, I had a lot of clients that made that transition and mm. went into like student support services roles and like ad- administrative roles where as crazy as it sounds, they came out the gate already making more money. They now have, they're part of a university system where they can go back to school and get more education, which is then going to help them pivot again or pivot mm-hmm. into another direction. Now they have free education um, or free access to certification courses Um, and another big thing is, uh, LinkedIn learning. I tell people all the time, like, even if you're in the middle of that transition, let's say that you don't have the financial stability to go and like drop some money on a new degree or a certification program, jump into LinkedIn learning. I mean, I think they give you some free access, even with a free account, but like the fact that LinkedIn is owned by Microsoft now, I mean, LinkedIn learning is such a great way to just really learn, especially some hard skills. If someone feels like they're coming from a very soft skill centered field, um, how do I get good at using Tableau, you know, data visualization platforms? How do I get really, really good at using Excel? I feel like these are the things holding me back going for these administrative roles, right? So I think that there's just, and you have Coursera and you have Udemy and you've got all of these great resources now. And I tell people like upskilling is going to be a huge part of this transition. You have to be open to upskilling. I love something you mentioned in the beginning where you were referring to um, the teacher who ultimately was like, I'm not getting paid enough for this. And I think value is something that people are either on their way to uncovering more about themselves or haven't done so um, previously. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's really important to assess because our values are important. And if you don't own your values and you don't speak to them, I mean, you talked about the person coming to you and already taking the step, the first step out of fear to say, I need help, right? That's number one. So you're already putting into place that you're going to change the fear. You're going to change the outcome because you're asking for help. Yep. I don't know what it is. I know that I experienced this myself and I've gone through this period of where I've like, I don't like to ask for help. And I don't know why. And then I really realized where it came from, from being a kid and figuring everything out on my own. (laughs) Um, But I think that people just in general are thinking that people don't want to help. And when you kind of have a conversation with someone like what we do in the space of coaching people, um, it, it kind of sets up like this understanding of like, oh, there's someone that actually cares. And then you're able to uncover what the value is. What people who struggle to say they can't pivot because they're pigeonholing themselves, not the other way around, Mm -hmm. that's then bringing more to light about what that limiting belief is and creating a value system of like, what do you think your worth is? Mm -hmm. What do you think your skills are? One of the things I do with some of my clients is that I have them go through and create a list of all the things that they've accomplished in life, education, um, certifications. Um, how many jobs they've had in a particular industry, how many jobs that they've had in their whole entire lifetime. I'm putting a number next to what may have cost them or what they were earning. And so that way they can see how they can value themselves to be able to lift themselves up because they have all these limiting beliefs of what's been creating and hindering them from seeing where they can go. Mm-hmm. How, how has some of the people you've worked with seen a change in their ability to recognize how much more valuable they are? 
and owning their worth too? That's a great question. And I think, you know, we're talking about, <laughs> again, like this is such a great therapy topic, right? Our value. How do we place a value on our skill set? Um, I think a lot of people that have just been so beaten down by their industry, again, hospitality and teachers are great examples of this, but I think of many others as well. Um, I think that a lot of times when someone just hasn't had someone hear them or see mm -hmm. them, you know, like when I'm, for example, when we're revamping someone's resume, right. And I'm sitting there going through the resume and I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Didn't you mention something about like some president's award or something? And like, they didn't even have this on the resume. And it's like, they're so focused on what they think they don't have. And they're so caught up in like the imposter syndrome of when I look at this other, when I want to switch fields and I start looking at these other job descriptions, it's like this super intimidating, like, oh my God, I check maybe one or two of like 10 boxes that they're asking for in that job description. And all of a sudden this, this self-deprecation and this, you know, I'm just never going to be able to do that. It swirls and swirls and swirls. And it's like, I look at them and half the time I'm saying to them, like, hold up. Like I've been in the recruiting space. I've been in closed door rooms with hiring managers where they're telling me how much they appreciate this experience that comes from these other spaces. And like, nobody ever builds a job description, hoping they're like thinking they're going to find the unicorn that checks 10 out of 10 boxes. Like that's not how job descriptions are actually created. So can we just let's go deeper into that? Because I spend so much time trying to talk and make my clients and my students yeah. aware of the fact that like the job description is a template. It's okay? a marketing tool. It's, it's a tool to help yeah. draw people in yeah. And the 200 plus applicants that are going to apply to it are not going to be the same. And yes, the hiring manager wants unicorn, but when you're a recruiter, your job is to say, tell me to the hiring manager, tell me what is the top qualifications and skills you're looking for? Because yeah. the recruiter will then sift through all of those applicants or set up triggers to be yeah. able to pull who are the top applicants and qualified people. Now you as a job seeker, how are you going to make yourself stand out? Forget that you don't check off all the boxes. Don't put yourself in a situation where you won't allow yourself to be considered because you're limiting yourself to what you could actually do. Right. Paint the picture that you want them to know. If it's a rainbow, great. Paint that picture. If it's a unicorn shitting Skittles, paint that picture. <laughs> don't limit yourself because you think you can't check every single box. Right. And it's not about lying, right? A lot of people say, oh, should I just, you know, say this on my resume? And I'm like, no, no. Like, <laughs> is not where this starts. Like when we start talking about digging deep and like pivoting, it doesn't come from a place of fraudulence. <laughs> okay. Like, so the thing is, is like, when we talk about job descriptions, it's such a great example. Whenever people are like, I always try to pull back the curtain for my clients too, about like what corporate recruiting actually looks like, like internally, right? I have been that person who was the first point of like first gatekeeper looking at resumes. And I always tell people 60%, if you're even 60% qualified on a job description, I hope you are excited and like jumping for like you, that's the goal. 100% mm -hmm. is not the goal. And the no. thing is, I always, as a recruiter, I found this many, many times that like most hiring managers don't even know what great talent looks like until it's sitting in front of their face. Exactly. So they're, they're building these job descriptions from a point of blindness because they haven't seen any candidates yet. So they're building out this job description thinking, how great would it be to find somebody with all of these things? But in reality, they're only going to ever see people that have 
a, a few of them and a different mix of them. So I always tell people, it's like the Wayne Gretzky quote, right? Like you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. I was like, listen, if you don't throw your hat in the ring for this, you're never going to know. And at the end of the day, you might only be 60% qualified, but you might be the most qualified person out of that entire candidate pool. And this is where I think we have to remember that there's a whole system behind the scenes here. There's conversations behind the scenes. I know as the recruiter, so much more about the nuances that are going to make somebody a really great fit in this role that are not showing up on that job description because they can't, you know, sometimes it's like, I mean, I think of the example of like, you have a team where someone is just a really, they have just like a, a brutal personality, right? And you're like, oh God, I have to find somebody who has like a thick skin who can handle this other person, right? And I think a lot of people will say, well, why don't you just fire that person? It's like, no, 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 because that person is a woman over 50. Uh, there's discrimination, you know, like this is, she's great at her job, right? She's just a really difficult personality. She's been with the company for a really long time. And so there is a certain like type of personality that now I have to look for. So it's like, if I can find someone that comes from professions where they've naturally had to deal with people that were bringing a lot of, you know, adversarial vibes to the, to the space or whatever, like I I'm thrilled because you're going to be so much more well-versed in dealing with that. I would so much rather bring on somebody with that soft skill and train somebody on some other hard skill that sure. We probably have like, do you know, Salesforce, do you know how to use HubSpot? Like these things that are in job descriptions where it's like, it's a system. We're going to train you on it. Anyway. Yeah. I, you I, know, I, like don't let this stuff hold you back from applying. Yeah. No. And I think the diverse perspectives that people can bring, like knowing your audience, if you can speak to like reading what the culture and the workplace mm-hmm. is like for that organization and explaining how you can fit in and then bringing in all of your own perspectives and experiences is going to make you stand out. And obviously there's always going to be challenging people in every type of work environment. It's not new. It's existed for hundreds of years. Yeah. People can work. I mean, it's just, it's just all part of it. I think it's really interesting how, you know, in the world that we're living in today, people, the things that we might see as very basic in the process of job searching and recruiting, people struggle with so much. Yeah. And, and even more so now in this pandemic, like the challenges that people are seeing and experiencing are only showing that that is still a true problem in the job search process. Oh, it's a huge, huge barrier. I think, um, and I think because education is so widely available now and certifications and like the credentialing right back in the day, if you had a bachelor's degree, pff, rock star, right? I yeah. mean, it was like, oh, okay, you've got an MBA, rock star. Now it's like MBA plus certifications, plus this, plus, you know, PMPs and like all these project management. It's like, I think there's just this very real sense of imposter syndrome from folks who feel like they're undereducated, underskilled. And in reality, they're not. Like I tell people all the time, there's so many employers out there that, especially if they offer tuition reimbursement, if you've even started a degree, you are so, you should still be applying to a position that requires a bachelor's or whatever. Cause a lot of times these are the things they'll make exceptions on. They'll mm-hmm. write it into your offer letter that they just want you to finish the degree by the time, you know, within 24 months. Like we used to do this all the time at the company I worked at. And I think this is where, again, like coming back to this idea of transitioning, even if you're toying with the idea of making a transition, um, switching fields, switching total job functions, right? Whatever it is, 
use job descriptions as your list of cheat codes, right? Know that you don't have to be perfect. And again, not look for 10 out of 10 here, but use these job descriptions as actual like tools that you can do skills gap analysis with and, and really like set your resume next to some of these future jobs that you would love or roles in future spaces that you'd love to be in and see what they're asking for. Like these, even the first couple of bullet points in every section, which are the most important, will give you so much context to what people are looking for. And to your point, you have to be able to read between the lines, right? So if someone says multiple times in that job description, things like um, must play well in the sandbox with others, right? They're, they're leaning into personality stuff. They're leaning into like emotional intelligence and like resilience and stuff like that. That's telling you that this is a culture that really expects nice people, um, understanding people, culturally and socially aware people, right? If you see in a job description, all they talk about is like metrics, um, sales goals, hitting numbers, right? Driving for results, uh, results oriented, like this kind of language, you know, you're coming into maybe a little bit higher pressure environment. There's going to be higher expectations on performance. So I think it's like, people just want to start looking at job descriptions as these true cheat codes lists of like the company's kind of telling you exactly what they're looking for. There's certainly things that you can kind of suss out where you're like, well, this doesn't really fit the kind of culture I'm looking for. And that's okay. You know, but using this as like your, you know, if you're looking to become a project manager, which is like such a popular space right now, because lean project management is everywhere. Every organization wants to be more efficient. So project managers, right? If you're saying I'm not a PM now, but I want to be a PM later, start pulling those job descriptions and look and see what people are asking for and use this time to start upskilling on those things or LinkedIn learning to start even watching some videos or course tutorials on these different platforms, like these project management systems that are very widely used now. And that way you can at least know enough to be dangerous, you know, in the interview. And you can say, listen, I haven't used this hand, you know, myself, but I've watched a lot of videos on it. I understand the modules. I understand it. It allows us to do this, this, and this. And so these are just the things that I think people forget that they have access to this information and knowledge is power, right? if you don't know what your future field is even going to expect from you, that's where the imposter syndrome steps in. Right. And that's where I think most people feel like when I apply for something, I'm not going to be a good fit because I don't have X, Y, and Z. Look at all these things they're asking for in this job description that I don't have. And it's like, well, what are some of these things we can check off our list, at least from a confidence perspective. Yeah. If I've never used Tableau and I go on and watch a couple of videos for Tableau. I can now speak to what that is and why it's an important tool I'm still going to get training on it when I come into the business because they're going to use different modules than some other company. They're going to use Tableau in a different way than some other companies use it. But at least I know what I'm, I know what the landscape looks like. And I think the other part to that is on the opposite side of it is what are your non-negotiables? What are the things that you as a person know you're not willing to do for this type of work. Mm-hmm. If you're not willing to go and get, you know, upskill yourself or get a certification beyond the scope of what the job is saying, maybe it's not a good fit. Like being able to have that self-awareness from the beginning. The other thing I want to go back to, you mentioned education. And I don't know if you've noticed this while helping people in the job search process, but I've been seeing probably for the last year now, more and more job opportunities where 
it's not requiring a specialized degree. It's just mm-hmm. requiring a degree. Mm-hmm. So people who are a career changer or a career transitioner, and you don't really see yourself in the job, pay close attention to that. The fact if you have an education, don't let that limit you because it may not be in the same space of what your specialization is. The truth of it is, is that over 50% of people who have a uh, college education or higher don't work in the field that they actually went to school for. Right. And that continues to stay true time and time again. And if you're someone who is considering like, okay, well, I want to go into this field. I don't have the education. Think about how many years of experience that you bring to the table that's transferable to that job. Because they're looking at people who have experience and experience is always in a Trump education. At least in my opinion, I always feel that way. You have 10 years of experience and you may not have a bachelor's degree. I see it time and time again, where someone who has experience, they want that seasoned professional. They want that person who has those qualifications because degree, the degree is just, you know, I'm not going to say it's just a piece of paper, but the reality is you invested four or five years of your life into that degree did you exactly get what you thought you were going to get out of it? Did it give you the job that you wanted? What does that really look like to you? There's so right. many things about, you know, being education, being accessible, right? Which is completely a different conversation. I was just going to say, you and I could talk for hours. Yeah, <laughs> but at this, I'm, I'm always going to root for the person who, and at least always want to help support the person who is in their own head and stuck in their own ways about, how they think that a degree is going to help them when they have 20 years of experience. Experience, like I was one of those people who didn't go to college after high school. I worked and I was, I had to work because I had to support myself. And for years until I actually said, okay, I have to work really hard to get this degree. It hindered me in getting jobs, but it didn't stop me. And it's gotten me to where I am today in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Don't limit yourself. Like the point of that is don't limit yourself. <laughs> and coming from two people who have worked in or currently working career services, telling you it's not all about the degree. Like, what does that say? Right. If we feel that way, right. Higher education has always had like sort of their nose up about like, well, if you're going to come work in higher ed, you should really have such and such degrees. And it's like, it, it really isn't that way, especially in the business world. Are there going to be employers that require degrees? And that's like, you know, I, at the company I work for, right. They were a global organization. They really looked for master's degrees or MBAs when you were at a manager or director level or above. And mm-hmm. it was because they wanted, they had that as a threshold and they didn't want someone to come in and be a blocker, right? Hey, to promote you, we, you need to have X, Y, Z qualifications. One of those is an MBA or whatever, help us help you promote. Right. But you've got to, some organizations are just going to have that, but so many of them to your point, they are only looking for context, right? Cool. You've finished a four-year degree. That tells me you can start something and finish it. You dedicated yourself for at least four years, probably. Right. There's a lot of growth that happens in college in other spaces, but also like, no matter when you go to college too. Yes, totally. (laughs) So I just, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think the education piece is a really big, it's a really big imposter syndrome trigger for a lot of people, but it's funny because it's really not the biggest thing in reality that holds people back from being considered for jobs. And I even think about, you know, when people are making transitions and trying to pivot, it's, it's not just about upskilling and, um, certifications and adding more education. 
it might be more that you just need somebody to kind of be internal at this company or in this industry that's rooting for you. And you just, you know, it, it comes through networking and it comes through talking to people and it comes through reaching out to someone. I show people all the time how to use LinkedIn to find people who are coming from the exact space that they're in now. And yet they made the leap into the environment that this person's hoping to go into, right? Those are the people who climb that same ladder, who jump that same bridge, who made that same transition happen and usually are going to empathize with you even more because they've been in your shoes. They knew it was tough. How did they do it, right? These are the people you want to reach out to and have these informational interviews with and say, hey, I know that you're probably super busy. Is there any way I can pick your brain for 10 minutes on how you made this transition? I'm facing this right now. I love that you made it happen. I would be so grateful for any advice you could give me. And the thing I've been encouraging people to do lately is if you have the LinkedIn app on your phone, connect with people, send them the connection request. When they accept you become first connections, you can use the voice memo option and actually leave voice memos through the LinkedIn app. So it's like 60 second voice memos, Mm -hmm. leaving a 60 second voice memo and playing voice memo ping pong with someone didn't have to get them on the phone. Didn't have to take up their time. Like you're able to kind of have a more personal engagement with somebody, but it's at the, their leisure, right? It's not. So I think that this is something that, that even the ways that we collect this information now are so much more liberal than, than what we had access to before, where it was like, can you get on the phone with me or can you meet me for coffee? Right. And it's like these days or even zoom, right? Like it's still something to schedule and people Mm -hmm. are busy and people are busy. And I think that as we're kind of emerging of the, the chaos of the last 18 months, people are starting to come back to like business, right? Getting back to the thing that we were doing before and maybe adjusting it in some way, but use the resources and the technology available and accessible to make it happen. You you touched briefly, I'm going to ask the question, mm-hmm. on what someone who is a career changer that's transitioning from one industry to another industry should do. Let's go a little deeper into people yeah. who, let's say, I find this a lot, people who want to go from finance and accounting to healthcare, right? That's an example that I see a lot very often. Um, What does that look like? Because I feel like a lot of people are scared to ask that and are intimidated and are probably thinking it and will never want to pursue it, but they're thinking in the back of their head because they might think it's impossible. Let's dive into that a little bit. Sure. So are you talking about as a function or as an industry? So like I am, I work in a, I work at a CPA firm, but I want to work inside of a hospital. Or is this someone that's, that's actually like, I'm a financial analyst. I want to become a nurse. I think it's industry because okay. I think that's also bringing up a good point. I hope that seasoned professionals or maybe mid-career folks can see that if they work for a large corporation, that there's operations and business yeah. units within their organization yeah. that they can shift and transition to. And they've already have the baseline set up. You already know yeah. you have relationships with people. So that transition would be easier, but I'm speaking specifically to someone who doesn't know anything about healthcare, but has been working yeah. as an accountant for the last five years. What does this career transition and career change potentially look like for them? One of the things that I always encourage people to do, all my clients that I work with, I I have this conversation with, um, 
and it helps me really advise them better. And the direction that I point them in is, is like really figuring out what kind of hunter they are, because I find that not everybody that comes to me is a job hunter. In fact, mm-hmm. very rarely do I actually meet job hunters. Um, I find that most people are actually company hunters or industry hunters or values hunters. There's something else that's really motivating this move. And so once we start changing the lens that someone's looking through, we can start to carve out a different path. So for example, using the, the fields that you used, right? So if somebody's working as an accountant, like they're a, they're a staff accountant or they're a you know, operations accountant or something. And let's even say that they work in a very finance centric kind of environment um, for like a financial services company. Every single company out there has an accounting department. <laughs> and so it's like, I try to get people to say, I, I'll say like, you know, for some people, it's not about the what, it's about the where. Mm-hmm. If you know that your skill set is accounting based and you don't hate that, right? This is for someone who might still say, hey, I have this muscle in this functional space, right? This functional area of accounting and I, and I enjoy it, but I want to really, I need a different landscape. I need a different environment. That to me is more of an industry hunter or a company hunter because they just need to, they need, they will gain more growth in a different space. They need to, they're not abandoning their roots here. They just need to change flower pots, right? So it's like, let's actually go and say, okay, let's take healthcare as an example. You could work in the finance or accounting department for a hospital. You could work at a health insurance company. You could go to a pharmaceutical company, whatever slice of healthcare is actually interesting to you. Um, well tech is a huge space now, wellness technology. Mm-hmm. I think of companies like Peloton and Fitbit and like where health is sort of changing and evolving. I think of cool companies like Noom and mm-hmm. OOM that like yes. company. Even these companies have accounting and finance departments. Every like, company has accounting oh because they have to, if they're paying bills or they have services yes. or goods, they have, to, they have to file taxes, so they have <laughs> yeah. accounting. Um, yeah, I mean, I think people get really fixed on yes. the, the, the box they put themselves in, yeah. not really seeing their potential to shift. And I think understanding that those shifts are require baby steps in some ways. So like if you fully want to immerse yourself, let's say you're going from working for a uh, top four or a CPA firm, but you want to shift into healthcare, is your career change still wanting to be in accounting as an accountant? Or do you just want to leave that profession as a whole and retrain and re-educate yourself into shifting into healthcare? It might make sense for you to make that transition to still have a job to do accounting in a healthcare organization while you retrain and reskill and re-educate towards the job that you really want to do. Yep. I call those bridge opportunities. Yes. Like, like, so let's say, um, I had a client who worked at, uh, still works at Liberty Mutual and she was a business analyst and she really wanted to get into people operations, human resources, talent acquisition, like just super fascinated by the space, loved being a part of interview panels. And I said, listen, instead of trying to leave Liberty, let's see if there's actually any opportunities inside of Liberty, right? Where you could be an internal transfer, inter- you know, which is always going to give you a better leg up because usually a lot of companies will have policies around, okay, we always give them, you know, we always give our internal employees a first crack, right? At any new job. And a lot of organizations post the jobs internally before they're ever posted externally. So 
leverage, take advantage of all of this additional mileage you can get by being an internal employee and look for those bridge opportunities. Because if you can go and make that bridge jump into an HR position, but still at Liberty and put in six months or 12 months there, that is going to be so much more of a seamless jump outside of that company. But like, why not take advantage of all the benefits of the reputation you've built internally, the relationships you have internally, the fact that people will probably give you an interview or two just because you're internal. Let's take advantage of all of this, you know, and it's, and it's an and rather than an or, right? You can certainly be applying to other positions outside of that company and be pursuing this internal option as well. But I just think that has been one way that I've seen people make these transitions. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, if you're unemployed, a little different, right? You're starting from scratch. We're out in the, you know, we're, we're out in these streets. Like we got to find someone to hire us, right? This yeah. is where you're going to have to get a little bit more scrappy. And, you know, even, I'm not even lying though, even through volunteer opportunities, I've seen people gain accounting skills. I've seen people gain um, marketing skills. Roll up your you sleeves. Know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, if you're not working, like see who will out take that free labor that you're willing to offer so that the, it's no risk to them. You get to you want the this. Yeah. <laughs> and it's hard, right? It's, it's just not lost on me that people are busy and there's a lot going on right now. But the other thing is that you have so many, like if you're full-time employed, right? I think there's, it's almost harder to make the transition because you don't have the time to invest in upskilling, in job hunting and all the things, right? It's a full-time job in itself, but you have potentially this bridge that you can cross internally. So yeah. So knowing, knowing your resources, knowing your network, what are your negotiables and what are you willing to do and what is your value? And then being able to understand, is this transition a, a transition from internal within your organization or is it a transition external from the industry you're working in? Mm-hmm. There, there, there's so many different things that I think people are not seeing, hearing, or actually owning to when they want to do these things. And I think the part where we didn't get into this specifically, but taking a dive and doing a self-assessment of where your values and strengths are aligned to be able to then determine which direction you want to go in. Yeah. Understand what you value. I always say that it's a really good friend of mine said that to me and it like changed my whole world. It's just something that I think a lot of people know what they value, but they don't understand why they value it. And I think those values also change over time. And that's another big sort of shift that I think has been a part of this pandemic wave. So okay to change your mind. Like we're human beings. It's part of who we are as individuals and it's okay to change. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Like it's just a really like change is, you know, evolution. and, And as we're always trying to and hoping to evolve as humans and to become better leaders, better managers, better performers, better parents, better friends, better partners. So why wouldn't we change some of the things that we value and, and how we feel? Our work-life relationship is a pendulum, right? It's, it swings drastically from direction to direction. I say all the time, like there are going to be parts of uh, times in your life where it's work to live. And then that pendulum is going to swing without you realizing it over to the live to work side. And it's like, it's okay. It's okay to chase your passion for 10 years and be burnt out and just say, you know what? I just need a couple of years where I can make good money. 
Like there's nothing wrong with that. And I think that people that are really selfless to a fault almost, and I totally identify with this person when I worked in higher ed, like I'm making no money putting my groceries on credit cards here, but I love my job, right? And it's like, at a certain point, we have to stop guilting ourselves about wanting something different because it is just going to happen. And as a person, me, myself, having gone through this and going through it now, I mean, the last year for me has been, I've been very fortunate and blessed to be able to still have my job and do all the things, but like coming to a point where you accept the fact that like, I need to make a change, not just in looking for a new job, but like in my career, like Mm -hmm. completely, like I'm, I'm actually acknowledging I'm going to leave higher ed and I want Mm -hmm. to leave higher ed. It takes people a long time to get to that point. It took me a long time. Um, And sometimes you have to really go back and assess all those things, even though you're checking some boxes to say, where, where do you want to go in this point of time in your life? And don't guilt yourself because you need to maybe leave. It doesn't mean you can't do what you were doing. I'm still doing it as a side hustle. Like I still have my coaching business and practice. So I'm not fully leaving career. I'm just transitioning to something different, right? So I think people have to really give themselves the space to forgive themselves, right? Start there, understand your values and strengths. Think about what that pivot is, ask for the help where you need it and continue to assess and lean forward. Yeah. Growing out of something is not abandoning it. Yeah. Like that sense of abandonment is very real. And especially if people have experienced abandonment themselves, they're ultra triggered by that. And so you think of people who I've had so many clients that are social workers and they come to me and they're so burnt out. And I mean, talk about a field where you have to have a master's to get licensed in most States. You have to, you know, spend all this money to get to this point. And like five years into their profession, you know, they're in front of me being like, I just don't know. I'm, I'm having such an identity crisis because this was everything I thought I wanted and I'm so burnt out right now. And I, I feel like I can't leave my clients because I'm abandoning them. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, like you're not. And you don't have to be the martyr. Yeah. Stop being the martyr, you and know? You ha- and I think above all, you have to put yourself first. Like yes. if you can't show up for you, you really should not be showing up for anybody else. It's and not if you're not living selfish. authentically, it's, yes. It's being, it's self-advocating. There's a big yeah, difference between for, self-advocation and self selfishness. Like totally. totally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we're both there. We know. <laughs> like, so this has uh, been an amazing conversation. I, I know we could talk for hours and we have yes. tons of topics we can talk about. <laughs> Are there any last takeaways that you want to share with people that you think would be like, if there's like a golden nugget that you would want people to take away from our conversation today, what would it be? That transition is possible. And sometimes depending on someone's situation and depending on what the transition is, uh, not every transition is, is equal, right? Someone that you know that made a similar transition might've had just very different variables or timelines or financial situations or resources or background elements that changed how they had to make their transition versus how you make your transition. Um, I think comparison gets us into a lot of trouble when we start comparisonitis. Yes. 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 So that's like my biggest thing is just know that transition is possible, but it, you have to carve your own path and the way that you transition will most likely be very, very, very individualized. So seeking 
help, right? Whether it's going to see a career strategist, whether it's talking to people that are in those fields and like, but you have to do your own legwork. Um, and sometimes, you know, I always say, kind of say to my clients, figuring out what you don't want to do is half the battle. Mm-hmm. And don't be surprised if like you, when you're transitioning, you think that you have one idea of what this other field looks like. Um, and then you start talking to somebody in that field and you start to realize, wow, this is not what I thought it was at all. Do not beat yourself up. This yeah. Is, this Those is information interviews process. are fundamental. Oh, they're huge. They're huge. Like talking to someone that's asking the real questions in those interviews too. Like, what is something you wish you knew about this field before coming into it? What does a bad day look like in your job? You know, like let's, let's skate over all the bubblegum stuff. Like, what's your favorite part of your job? Like, why does the favorite part of my job even matter to you? Like this doesn't change your process. It's my favorite part, not yours. Yes. Like (laughs) ask people the real questions. (laughs) Yeah. Well, last thing before I let you go, where can people find you? I know they can find you on LinkedIn, but tell us all the places. Sure. Um, love it when people follow me on uh, Job Talk Instagram. It's job at jobtalk.llc. Um, I always throw up like quick video tips, um, thoughts, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then obviously jobtalkllc.com, all my services and pricing and, you know, podcast interviews and blogs and all that kind of stuff is on the website. So awesome. Well, thank you so much, Crystal. Thank it's always you. a pleasure to chat. I love hanging out hopefully we can see each other very soon in person I know. and I think this episode's going to be really juicy there's a lot of takeaways here absolutely thank you again for having me on you are so welcome thanks so much hey chit chatter thank you so much for being a part of the show if you found value in today's episode be sure to share it with the world we welcome everyone for listening and if you'd like please go on over to apple Podcasts and leave us a review Those reviews mean everything to me and they help the show grow as well as for me to know what topics you want to hear from next. Be sure to go visit to coachingwithjoseamiguel.com or Coaching for Millennials for more up-to-date content, newsletters, blogs, information about coaching for life and career. Thank you so much for being a part of our magical world and for being part of this program. I can't wait to the next episode.